from WNYC. Welcome back to Snap, the performer's episode. My name is Glenn Washington, and you've seen the magic on stage, on TV, on film, at the concerts. We all want to know where it comes from. What are they tapping into? And our next guest, Neil Brennan, he's a writer, director, comic. Neil is best known as the co-creator of The Chappelle Show. But he strips away all of his veneer in his new one-man show, Three Mics. We bring him into the studio to speak with Lena Masitsis. Snap Judgment. Yeah. Um, Manoli, we're good on levels, right? Okay, great. First of all, this is for Snap Judgment. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to tell you a little bit about what we're trying to pull off. Okay. We have tape of you doing the show at Largo. And then we do you want me to you want me to tell the dad story though, right? Yeah. Okay. Uh, well, okay. So we're gonna actually cut between you telling me the story and then a couple um, stand up segments from that the actual great. tape. Yeah. So do you mind just setting up for me what like first of all what the premise of the show is and how you arrived to it? Yes. Um, my name is Neil Brennan. I am a comedian. The premise of the show is that I put three microphones on stage seven feet apart and I basically alternate between the three microphones how are you you good all right so I don't know if you know the premise of the show uh it's three mics um this one is for like one-liners just jokes I've written over the years couldn't find a place for them maybe I tweeted a couple of them um but so yeah for an example when someone says, I think of you as family, I assume they're going to scream at me for something that happened 15 years ago. <laughs> it's kind of hard. I'm not a one-liner comedian, so I basically... I spend the most time to the right and at the stand-up mic. Gold diggers. Do they exist? What do you think? They exist? Not as much as you think. You know how I know? I have a little bit of gold. Yeah, men assume that there's going to be, like, a gold-digging system in place. Like, every accomplishment by men in human history was to impress women. I'm sure, like, Thomas Edison invented the light bulb, and they were like, Edison, this is going to change the world. And he was thinking, like, and wait till these hoes see it. (laughs) This mic is for personal, true stories. Like, it's not going to be hilarious. I'll pepper them with with jokes, so (laughs) just be ready for that. So, uh, so I'm depressed. <laughs> yeah, no, I, but not like written. No, it's not funny, depressed. It's like, it's clinical. You know, I had, I've had it as long as I can remember, like from when I was a little kid. Um, I'm, I don't know if you know anything about me. I'm the youngest of 10 kids. Yeah, I don't know if you know anything about uh, kids um, <laughs> or math, but that's too many kids. <laughs> it was like growing up in a juvenile detention center, pretty much. Yeah, and uh, my father was a, a violent alcoholic. You know, that's the, my parents are old. Like, they're from, they literally born in the Depression. You know what I mean? But look, my father was from really hard scrabble surroundings. Born in 1930. He was one of 13 kids. Immigrant parents from Ireland. His twin died when he was six months old. And at a certain point, they put my father up for an adoption. So a family came and took him for a test drive and then brought him back. Just insane. So 
so yes, yeah, so he was violent alcoholic, and he, but he was also, even kind of worse, was a narcissist. Um, and I don't know if you've dealt with narcissists before in Hollywood. I don't know if they have them out here. Um, <laughs> but it's all about them. You're not even there. I don't mention this in the show. He was, all right, a couple anecdotes. He was diagnosed as a clinical narcissist. And uh, so you know what he did? He called us all individually to tell us that he was a clinical narcissist. One by one. Yes. <laughs> Another time I broke my arm and uh, needed to go to the hospital. How old were you? Ten. And my dad uh, ate dinner before he took me to the hospital. No. So I just had to sit there and with a broken arm. I think I was 20 maybe when I wrote for um, All That on Nickelodeon. I'll hold for applause. Um <laughs> And then me and Dave Chappelle wrote Half Baked, and that was good. So, but these were like good things where, like, it's not a good movie, but um, these were good things. Like, they felt good, you know? Like, it was, I was kind of staying ahead of the depression. Um, and that worked for a while. And, and then uh, Half Baked came out. Um, and it's it kind of a rude awakening. Um, CNN said that Dave's career was over, and his mom <laughs> saw that. So, that was pretty rough. I think the New York Times said shame on Dave and Jim. Pretty pretty scathing. But my father was such a narcissist that he was like mad at me for it. Like I'd somehow made him look bad. And I even asked him. I was like, you weren't proud that your son got a movie made and had his name on a movie screen? He's like, no, not really. It's like, okay. <laughs> but anyway, so I started, I started, uh, I knew I was sort of like had to make a change because I think we'd sold a pitch and I was driving up La Brea and I heard about the pitch, and I was just like, I was numb. And I started crying because I was numb. And I was like, okay, I'm not, I'm no longer staying ahead of it. I was like, I got to go on antidepressants. So, um, and I would still come across to people, because of the depression, I would still come across as cold or indifferent or, uh, you know, bored or just bummed. Um, but you know who liked it? Black dudes. Black dudes loved it. <laughs> I'll tell you why, because they'd be like, they'd be like, Neil, man, you don't give a fuck. And I wanted to be like, it's because I'm sad. <laughs> and then Chappelle show took off, and he, my dad basically came back like Don King, like only in America. Um, but I was like, no, I'm good. I basically said, I don't, I don't like you. I don't think you're a good person. And said, you can't lord your money over me like you do my brothers and sisters, because that was sort of his thing. <laughs> then he started getting sick. He had leukemia. And everyone told me, you know, you got to make it right. You got to make it right. So I took their advice and I wrote him an email itemizing all the things that I didn't appreciate about him or about our relationship. And also a bunch of things that I did appreciate and I and I didn't hear back from him. And then and and then, I think nine months after I sent the email, I got a voicemail from him, and he sounded super reedy voiced and sick. And he said, "Hey, it's me. I read. I never checked that email address. I just checked it, and saw your email. And I gotta say, pretty fair. So we so I called him and we talked and 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 uh, we there was rapport." He said something about cancer. He said, you know, everyone says I'm 
fighting cancer. I'm not fighting it. Like I'm, it's, uh, it's ravaging me. And I said, you know, I was like, dad, you know, Christopher Hitchens said that same exact quote. And he was like, oh, I, I love Christopher Hitchens. I was like, he's like, I love that book. God is not great. And I was like, so like we kind of connected over that, for instance. And we spoke a few few more times after that. And then he started. And then I got a call from my sister and she said, it's not looking good. You should come to Chicago and say goodbye. So I went to Chicago, hopeful that things were on the mend. Were you sad, scared? Were you other things too? You, more than anything, I was always curious as to how I was going to react. I would see people's parents or friends or family members die and they'd be devastated. And I always feel like, I don't think I'm going to be devastated. But there's also a good chance I will be devastated at the fact that I never got to have a good relationship with them. So I went to Chicago and hung on his hospital room. And I got, and within five minutes, he was like trying to get me to talk shit about my brothers. I was like, God, man, like just be a decent person. Like, it's you're like home free. Just be decent for the next three days. Because um, I was gonna pull the plug. Okay. Um, and I just it just it was a reminder. Like, oh, it's just a, he's just like a he's a scorpion. So a couple days later, I was I was getting ready to leave, and my sister called me, and she's like, Hey, did you tell Dad you didn't want to be in his will? And I was like, uh, Probably not. You know, what? <laughs> I was like, let me guess, I'm not in it? And she's like, yeah, you're not in it. I was like, okay. She's like, but we, we're going to get a lawyer down here. He wants to change it. You'll be good. So I go down to the hospital room, and he's like, Neil, do you remember, you know, telling me to take my money and shove it up my ass? And I was like, I wouldn't say something that hacky, but yeah, I remember the, <laughs> the sentiment for sure. And uh, so we sat there in a bit of a standoff, you know, because he wanted me to grovel. And I was like, I'm not going to grovel for money. Like, I'd rather you give me money than not, but I, I'm, I can't grovel for it. And, um, and we kind of left it open, and he fell asleep. He basically just, like, put my hand on his forehead and said goodbye for what would be the last time. He died a few days later. And the following week, I got an email on my phone, and it said, the will of Daniel J. Brennan. And so I opened it, and I'm scrolling through it, and it said, my son Joe gets one-tenth, my daughter Sheila gets one-tenth, on and on. And it got to me, and it said, my son Neil can take care of himself. He gets nothing. It was a shot. It was painful. It was, it was just a flick in the back of the ear, like, if you're so great, then... You're not getting any of this. When when things had thawed between us, I was talking to him on the phone one day, and I said, you know, Dad, I feel like you didn't love us. And he was like, yeah, you're right. I didn't. Which is awful, but it was actually good because my whole life I felt like I don't think my dad loves me. And everyone would go, oh, no, of course he does. He loves me. I'm like, no, I'm pretty sure he doesn't. Like, because, you know, love's elemental. You can sense it. It's heat or wind or getting tickled, you know. So for my father to say, I don't love you, was both devastating 
and liberating because it meant I have clinical depression, but I wasn't crazy. Thank you, Neil Brennan. Neil Shell, three mics. You can see it for yourself on Netflix right now. We have a link on our website, snapjudgment.org. That piece was produced by Lena Masitsis and Mark Ristich. It's about that time. But if you missed even a moment, subscribe to the amazing Snap Judgment Storytelling Podcast on whatever phone device thing you have. Snap was produced by all the sorcerers in all the lands. Wave your wand at Mark Ristich, Pat Masidi Miller, Anna Sussman, Joe Rosenberg, Nancy Lopez, Davey Kim, Renzo Gorio, our Get Fresh crew, Elijah Smith, Leon Morimoto, Teo Decat, and Jasmine Aguilera. And this is not the news. No way is this the news. In fact, you could sneak up on a New York pimp, flash a camera all up in his face, and you would still not be as far away from the news as this is. But this is WNYC.